Welcome to Altus Insights podcast series with Ray and Marlin, hosted by me, Avi. This podcast will cover monthly market updates and construction cost impacts across major markets in Canada. So today we have a special guest, Richard Lyle, president of Rescom, who represent builders of low-rise, mid-rise, high-rise housing. And as usual, we've got Ray darkening our door. And for once, it's not in some seedy motel somewhere in Calgary or Vancouver. Today, we're going to discuss the government of Ontario's plan to build 1.5 million homes over the next 10 years to help tackle the massive housing affordability crisis we face today. Richard, do you want to do a quick introduction to yourself and uh, the team over at Rescon? Sure. Yeah, I run an organization called Rescon, which is a builder's council. Our focus is on what actually happens when you build a building. Uh, and all things related to that, a lot of our work is directed at kind of making the system better because, uh, uh, of course, housing is a very complex industry and there's many parts to it. And so we have a team of uh, subject matter experts uh, on, on staff that are very good at various elements on this, anything to do with uh, training to labor relations, health and safety, technical standards, innovation, uh, and of course, government relations, because government is a very big part of our world. You were just appointed when you to is it another panel or task force looking at building in the one and a half million homes with the government of Ontario? That's true. As an order and council, I was appointed to the Housing Supply Action Plan Implementation Team, which is a body intended to advise the government or provide advice on, you know, some of their thinking. I'm not going to say we're privy to everything. I would I wouldn't I would doubt that, but um on what their thinking is and also what we think they need to do possibly next. They, because of course they've done a lot of things already. Um and and uh, quite a lot. In fact, you know, and I've been doing this job for 30 years and we've had in the last four years the most changes than I've seen, you know, in that time period. So uh, but of course, as we know, there's a lot of other things happening in the world too, and they all play in, they all, it all interconnects, right? So timing is often everything in these things. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I suppose that's the topic of today's subject is the, or today's podcast is the housing crisis we face, not just in Ontario, but across Canada. Today we'll focus on Ontario. And I think, like you said, over the last few years, we finally, I think, had recognition from all three levels of government there actually is a crisis. The province is the one that seems to have taken the lead and uh, trying to solve the issue. I, uh, we know the feds are just staring at the feet, basically waiting for McKinsey to tell them what to do next. And then the municipalities, I think they're slowly coming around. There's been some real good announcement over the last few weeks and months that show maybe that ship slowly but surely starting to recognize and turn the ship. So I suppose with the, the first question that I get asked a lot when I'm, I'm doing some of my market stuff is, we've got 1.5 million homes as a target. It's an ambitious target. But is that even enough if you start looking at the reports CMHC have put together that tend to indicate that helps, but the number might actually be much bigger? Well, yeah, you're right. But let me first start by saying, I want to say something I think it's important, that there is a housing crisis sort of in many parts of the developed world, uh, but we happen to be in a particularly bad situation. And how we got here was a sort of, I'll call it an insidious process, and we can come back on that. But now we're trying to sort of fix it. And of course, as you said, the provincial government has really taken concerted action 
uh, and uh, on this on many levels. Um, the feds, yes, they're still kind of not engaged yet, and we'll come to that too. But coming to the 1.5 million, uh, that is the target. It's a real target. It's based on demographics. It's based on peer-reviewed research. Um, and in fact, it's slow. Uh, yeah, the real number, the best number we have for the real number is actually 1.78, which is very close to the CMHC number. Call it 1.8 uh, over 10 years. Now we're into it a little bit already. Um, so, but that is a real number. And, um, you know, to get there, it essentially means we've got to pretty much double the amount of housing we're producing right now. Yeah. And Ray, have you, on the research side, you guys seen any change so far towards the 1.5 million? Well, uh, the, the, there's been a lot of discussions on how we get that point based on the, 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 the average new construction that we've seen in Ontario and Canada the last number of years and whether or not it's realistic. So, I, I think it's it's great that we're having the the actual discussion because that and but the next part is the, is the action. So everyone's sort of lining up of what are the possibilities. So whether or not you like the policies of the the provincial government or not, I think the key is is that we're having that discussion. But if you look at the stats and based on the the market situation that starts um, are, are are down and there there are some hold or scheduling because of market um, market demand as well as with the interest rate. So it'll be interesting over the next 10 years with that target, how the numbers line up based on the market or will it be sort of subsidized or pushed in a certain direction, but something has to be radically changed to really change the data and as well as the current um, situation we are with developers. So that moves on, like, why is the biggest inhibitor? Obviously, I, I, I always look at fees and charges, government charges, never see my market presentation. I really do come down on both the municipalities and the federal government. And I often ask myself, why does the government make housing so expensive and definitely more expensive needs to be? Is that the biggest inhibitor now? Is it the, the price or is it also the approval process, the time? So I, I, I will say to you that the biggest single barrier is, I'll call it systemic. And so that includes uh, taxation and things like that. Basically, we started off with really bad planning, right? Growth planning. We've got a growth plan, throw it out the window. It was a joke. And uh, they ignored demographics to a large extent. Uh, and then the other problem is uh, with the rules. So we've calculated, we've got 45 different government bodies and agencies that are involved in the decision-making process on a new project. Compare that to Singapore, that's considered the most advanced jurisdiction of the world on building approval, they have 12. So we've got four times that, but it's more than just four times because you know you start doing that, uh, what, do you, what do you want to call it? The spider web of things. And then as things get more complex, it takes that much longer to do. And then taxes. We tax housing like you tax alcohol or tobacco, which when you think about the fact that housing is a need, like food, that's crazy. But that's what we're doing and have done. And it's gotten worse and worse and worse to the point now where taxes, fees, and levies on a new house or a condo or whatever is about 31% of the cost. So 
think about that for a minute. You got a million dollar piece of real estate that you want to buy. You're a young millennial. 310 grand is taxes, fees, and levies. Then you get into some other stuff beyond that, you know, the inefficiencies of the system and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's terrible. Now, the biggest beneficiary of that tax system, ironically, and actually the biggest profiteer in housing is the federal government. The federal government gets about 39% of, of the loot, right? Uh, but, you know, in terms of, say, for example, public infrastructure investment in Ontario, they're only account for about 7.1% of that. So there's a lot of money, billions of dollars every year going to the federal government in new housing taxes, and it's not coming back. And we can't afford that because, you know, you, th you hear the stories about, like in Toronto, and the, and the numbers are so crazy, it just, it's hard to compute. $240,000 income to play. That gets you a big fat mortgage, right? Now, when you think about three hundred ten thousand being just taxes, fees, and levies, I mean, no wonder we're really starting to lose talent. In fact, we're losing new immigrants that are very talented because they've come here uh, to try to do innovative things and create a new life and 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 businesses and whatever. You can't afford to live here, uh, and then don't even get me started on foreign students. So, you know, the systemic problem is the biggest problem. The huge part of that is the way we tax housing, which is insane. And it's gone up, by the way. It's been <laughs> like the, the, the growth rate on taxes. You know, if you look at just development charges 10 or 12 years ago in Toronto on a two-bedroom condo, it was like eight grand. Today, it's $88,000. Why? Well, they've got this cockamamie argument about growth pays for growth, which is, you know, it's baloney. Uh, because, you know, it's the new condo owner, the new renter uh, that has been paying for that. And uh, the problem is they don't really have a voice in the game, right? They're not some powerful ratepayers association with loads of pitchforks and torches and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, and then <clears throat> they're not, they really don't have much of an effect on the politicians, many of whom pander directly or indirectly to some of these NIMBY groups. Uh, you know, and there's, you know, as was said, there's lots of good talk now, a lot of great talk. And there's a lot of good plans now to fix things. I don't say that all the talk is right or all the plans are right. But implementation is the key. And this is what we got to do. We got to implement these changes and make it happen. There has to be a cultural change, for example, in some of the bureaucracies. You know, the development industry and builders are not the enemy. We build everything. We even build the social housing. You know, we're not the we're not the bad people in this equation, but that's often the way they're treated. And delays are sort of dished out regularly, you know, without regard to what does it mean to the cost of housing? What does it mean to future renters and buyers? And what does it mean to millennials? I mean, like the mental health consequences of some of this stuff are crazy. Young people today, they'll never own a home, right? And then, you know, one of the things I want to do is compare that 31% in taxes to what their parents paid. And I guarantee you, I can have that number soon. So stay tuned. We can have another discussion about this. <laughs> it's going to be a huge number. And you know what, you know, there's no excuse for it. None. 
Well, Ray's an old guy. He can probably tell you the number off the top of his head. But I, <laughs> sorry, Ray. I think just to segue to that, maybe Ray, you can yeah. hop in the other side of the market. It's not just that. It's the you're you're today visiting with a developer that specialises in purposeful rental. That side of the market has been hammered as well. I know Ray's been looking at that sort of stuff recently, but rents have gone crazy because there's a shortage of houses. So one side, the other balances and. Uh, rental gets hammered with those same fees and charges. And we know Bill 23 did some to help. But if you're losing 50 million and someone gives you 4 million, realistically, thanks, but doesn't really cover the bases. So, Ray, do you want to talk about some of the stuff you've been looking at on purpose for rental and trying to make stuff work? Well, the, the, the challenge with it, especially with the market, um, with, uh, with, with rent control, is it purpose-built rental in Ontario is starting to grow, and especially from an institutional pension fund and return standpoint, it makes sense, especially with with um, the type of um, returns and, um, and the growth in that area. But Richard, your comment earlier about the, the, the immigration is, you know, mainly moves to either Ontario and BC. So the challenge with this, is I think, based on the whole affordability, especially last couple of years, it's bad enough for, for um, people here to be able to rent, understand the process, and as well as look at the, the various listings. So we're starting to lose some of that talent to Alberta to a certain extent, uh, especially on the affordability as well as Atlantic Canada. So from a, a, the rental standpoint that you have the purpose about rental, but the other stock that you're starting to hit a little bit based on the, the foreign uh, um, buyer restrictions is the, the condo market, which is also a sort of a, a outlet for, for rentals, right? So, so some of the policies are well intended, but the challenge we're dealing with is some of the changes they're making to the policy is actually inhibiting um, some of the, the, the aspects of um, the, the rental stock. But purpose-built rental, it's evolving and changing, but that's getting a little bit more expensive. Again, Richard, what you said earlier, based on the demographics and where that demand's coming from. So there has to be a balance there that we don't have yet, just because of the, of the very low uh, uh, vacancy rate on the multifamily side. Yeah. And I think we segue good here is we know we have a mayoral race in Toronto. Toronto's going to bear the biggest weight for accommodating those houses and have the highest targets. We did see our friend Matt Lowe come out with his new cunning plan to cut developers out of housing by building 15,000 homes for 300 million, basically the average cost of a kitchen reno. Not sure how much he thinks developers are making on projects, but apparently it's a lot. So is there anything you guys are looking for or, or, or fear in the upcoming election that could actually set some of this good work backwards in that it tends to be once Toronto jumps, some of the other big municipalities tend to follow suit and we seem to be making headway but now we could have a new mayor to deal with well you got that right i mean toronto does have a housing action plan which is good although yesterday had some people went to a meeting with the new development and growth division and apparently uh, i've heard the name is being changed to the development and review division now or something like that which goes you go oh my god here we go but you know the problem is is that this is an incredibly complex problem with many factors and variables involved uh and just just the systemic issues alone like uh, just you know zoning and site plan approvals processes the technocracy related to that is 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 very complex 
And so, you know, we, it, this is no time for really for amateur hour. Right. And so, yes, politicians will be politicians. Matt Lowe's, you know, he came up with the idea. It's really kind of an extension of create TO an extra department or something like that. But it's, you know, it's another one of these things, 15,000 units over how many years are the numbers even real? You know, where's the breakdown of the plan? And 15,000 units, not really going to get us very far. It, you know, it's good if it can be done, but they, they cook up these ideas sort of out of their back pocket, you know, uh, well, let's do this. And, and it's, it's not a solution. It, it's just politics. So you have, we have to sort of separate the two things. And then, you know, people have to remember, and they forget this, 90% of housing is private sector. And at its peak, government's share of housing production, which is, I think, sometime about 30 odd years ago, I'm going to check that, was 14%. So, the you know, the first thing they have to do is say, how do we get the market working? Right. Because it's not working properly. I mean, it works very effectively. You know, like people say, well, you got 238 cranes in the sky, four times more than any other city. And I say, yeah, we're really good at that. But that's also a stark example of the dysfunctionality of our market. Because forget about mid rise housing, forget about missing middle housing, et cetera. I mean, there's things that we're just not doing at all. Right. Yeah. We're, we're really good over here. And then it gets attacked and criticized and it gets bunched up into certain areas and, you know, all that stuff. So we, you know, I think one of the things that and data, don't get me started on data and the 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 information that they're working off of, because they don't really know where things are going yet. And there's some efforts being made on that score to, to improve the information so we can make better decisions. But there is no real breakdown of what are the different things we need. I mean, Ray's absolutely right. Purpose-built rental housing has been, it's it's improved in recent years for good reasons, but it's nowhere near where it should be. I mean, in the U.S. in the last few years, they've had a building boom in purpose-built rental housing. Like, huge. It should have happened here. Our economies are so similar. But it's not happening here because our system is dysfunctional. It's broken. No, and I, on your point of social housing, the fifteen thousand makes no difference. Almost the 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 backlog TCHC right now, I believe, for social housing alone, not just affordable, is ninety to ninety five thousand. Average wait time to get a free bedroom unit is fifteen years. The same for a one bedroom. A two bedroom is slightly shorter at thirteen years, which. Not sure that's overly helpful. It was funny. I was having a conversation with my dad on the weekend explaining it to him. He's in the UK. He's like, "How the hell does anybody live there?" So, I mean, it's Ray. Yeah. Ray, you got any thoughts on the Toronto in specifically how this can all go even worse than it is right now with the mayoral race? Well, yeah, it, with Richard's comment on the U.S., yeah, the, the, the whole thing is that it's actually reverse trends there that based on that overbuilding, their rents are actually going down. So hitting into a little bit more better direction than, than ours. But again, yes. I, I like the whole thing with especially the timing of this mayor's race uh, of the discussion. And hopefully with the discussion, there's different ideas to address. And it also highlights some of the challenges because we're in the Vancouver last week with uh, the real estate forum there. And basically came out of that um, conference with, if you're looking to build a multi-purpose built um, residential, you're looking at from start to finish between seven to 10 years, right? And so 
I, I think this race is, is good because it's going to highlight some of the challenges and big, bring things to the forefront. But again, I agree with Richard's comment. It's great that we're talking about this, but the key is the execution going forward. So I'm, I'm, I'm opt- optimistic that with these discussions that we will see change, but at the same time, I, I, I'm, I, I'm just not that positive going forward if, if some of these things will actually be implemented. Yeah, I love the diagram someone posted on LinkedIn and they had like, this is the population of Toronto in 2021. It's like shrinking everywhere other than these big dark lines that follow like the certain nodes where there's high rise. You kind of go, there's less and less people in this space. And I I think someone posted today about how much that high rise now takes up like, it's got like 45% of all people and 8% of the land. And that's basically the way it's moved over the years. And you just kind of go, it's ridiculous. So one thing I want to do is before we close stuff off is, Richard's a huge proponent of technology. Um, I tend to be negative a little bit on technology. Richard likes the technology, the data. We've had discussions on digital twins a little bit. Ray's the data guy. So how do you think that that sort of stuff's going to change the way we think and we actually do in the future? Because it's going to make a change no matter what we say. So Richard, if you want to throw your hat in first on this side of things. Well, you know, you're right. I am a big fan. And and I think uh, one of the reasons for that is because other jurisdictions are already doing a lot of the stuff to very good effect. So it's not like we're creating something new or, you know, weird and wonderful or taking a risk with this stuff. It's about updating our processes, modernizing our systems, uh, uh, having that interoperability between disconnected departments so, you know, you can have a modern streamlined approvals process where you have a one window. It is effective. There is transparency and accountability where you can impose performance standards and say, hey, look, if you haven't responded in 30 days and there's no reason why you can't, then we're just going to move on without you. We don't care what you think about, you know, whatever department or division or organization it might be, because we've got to get this stuff done. I mean, I, I, you know, and I could tell you stories about that. So things like digital twinning, BIM, you know, GIS, uh, AR, VR, AI, you know, all these, all the technology that's, that, that we need to incorporate uh, is there. Now, I'm not saying it's not easy. And it's not going to solve our immediate problems because this stuff is going to take time to uh, implement. But we we have to move in that direction. And for God's sakes, we should be a leader on this. I mean, right now, according to the OECD, we rank 34th out of 35 countries. Uh, the last country is um, Slovenia. And I think the only thing I know about Slovenia is that's where Donald Trump's wife came from. That's it. <laughs> I, other than that, I don't really care, you know. And obviously, we're all us big data company, Ray. I don't know about you. I find the quality of data use in Canada isn't quite as good as the US based on what we've seen with Realme and those sort of companies we've acquired and the stuff they just, they just show you such a higher level of detail for decision making that I don't know if the Canadian government even has that available to them. It's expensive, right? So, because it's also a bigger population and uh, it's, it, it, you can spread the, 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 the costs. So you're absolutely right. The data sets that they're dealing with and look at the demographics and changes. I think data is always good um, and that it creates better transparency and as well as it takes account with possible changes and especially with um, the type of uh, immigration that we're, we're getting and the growth 
in certain you know, characteristics based on the millennial. So I think we're always going to be behind on, on that area. And I'm not sure what that solution is to, to make the information more available to other people that people can, that other people can actually use the information in a more innovative way. So I think that's always been the challenge with it, but I think that's the push that um, the, the leaders in the sector will have in that being able to exchange and have these type of discussions, exchange ideas. But I, I think data is key, but I think there's some restrictions attached to it. And I think data and innovation is the key going forward to get help us through some of these solutions. Yeah, I just find I think a lot of decisions, people are just taking a flyer at it. It's not necessarily based on rational information. And myself and Richard were at the, the ResCon AGM, and we were seeing the, the power of what a digital twin done at a city level, a national level, and then putting all of that information together. You could actually say with some degree of certainty what may or may not happen once you start building or you don't build. And you kind of look at places to grow and where we are today, and you kind of go, how the hell did they not see this happening when they went in that direction? And and uh, absolutely. And, you know, one other thing I'm going to throw this in that I like to work on, and we do have the capabilities, we need to be running simulations. We need to measure what are the consequences of failure. We're not doing that. So in terms of running simulations, what what if you take a, a block of changes and introduce them, what's the effect going to be? Uh, if you don't do that, what's going to happen? And we know what's going to happen if we don't deal with some of this stuff to a certain extent, but it's it's not accurate. And then we need to break it down to like how what what should be the share of purpose built rental, um, you know, the different housing formats and occupancies and so on and social housing, and what are those targets that we need to hit within different communities? We got to break this thing down. Um, you know, the province has been remarkable in terms of the scope and the breadth of the changes they've introduced so far. But the, the thing that some people are missing is that this problem is so big and it's so bad and it's going to get worse before it gets better. And unfortunately, I think in a few areas, we're going to have to hit some serious walls before some people really wake up because we do have a lot of people. Now, it's good. A lot of people are actually doing things. A lot of people are still talking. But then behind the scenes, they're not they're not walking the talk. And in fact, the, the barriers are still there. They're, the 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 approvals process is not getting improved. In fact, it's even getting worse because, you know, they have the argument, well, we don't have the people, you know, like, well, then maybe you need to look at what exactly those people are actually doing for a living, because I guarantee you a lot of them aren't doing much or not enough. There's an issue there. And then some of the stuff that they're doing, we don't need it because someone else is already doing it. And we have professionals in our company. You know, we've got architects, engineers, they're the ones that really go through the serious training on, on, you know, technical issues and stuff like that. Like we're just, we've got too much mission creep, too many fingers in the pie. It's gummed up the process. We're not building the housing we need to build. And a lot of people, the worst thing of all is people and kids are really suffering as a result of this because this does have huge implications for healthcare and education. Let's not forget that. And you know what? We're starting to see, and you know, the, the surprise thing from Waterloo University that a 94 in math out of high school might be an 80, you know, I guarantee you some of these issues are factored into that too as well. So, yeah. you know, we, we, with it, this is, 
you know, it is a crisis and people, you know, they need to look at the definition. That means urgent action needed now, not tomorrow, right? So. Well, and I think at some point, maybe not for this podcast, the future one, a discussion on the downstream impact. Once we build the houses, we need infrastructure. And I know you're involved heavily in that side in the underspend on infrastructure. So maybe maybe we'll keep that one back for a future topic and how much we've underspent actually just on infrastructure for a future podcast that does have a massive impact. And it also rolls into one of Ray's favorite subjects around um, offices, industrial, and how all of the real estate ties together. So we're getting close to the end. So final question, and you can answer it any way you like. Can we build 1.5 million homes in 10 years? I'll let Ray answer that. <laughs> yeah we can we can i'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot i you know what we can do it but we've got to play to perfection like we really need to turn on all the taps and we're not there yet and 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 one of the big ways that has to happen and it's almost like on a a marshall plan type scale which is off-site construction modular housing panelized housing and we got to get immigration right. You know, we got to get our our. I'm not going to say training apprenticeship. You know, I like, but but young people find you know really clear up those pathways. We need the investment because you know we got a big challenge coming now. It's going to be you know a little bit of a liquidity crunch coming right. But the investment needs to flow, and the investment will flow. And I know Ray knows this because purpose built rental housing. If you can if you can pull together the pro formas that you know that look good. Yeah. You'll get the, you, you can get the money and money is looking for alpha, right? Pension funds, things like that. If there's a, there's great potential here and then systemic, the systemic fix, we got to cut the Gordian knot, right? And we've got quite a few Gordian knots. So if we can do all of those things, you know, to the best of our abilities, yeah, we can build 1.5 million homes. Now the question is, can we do that? I think we should put them all in Milton. That's my new summary solution for the problem. It used to be send everybody to Calgary. I've now decided Milton's a better location. And we just build one and a half million homes in a in a town that actually likes building. I gotta show you something. Don't take <laughs> this the wrong way. Oh, so your proponent is everyone gonna come to Texas. Calgary, here I come. <laughs> Ray, did you have anything else to add? Because that might be the perfect ending. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Richard, I, I totally agree with you. We just need to be able to mobilize. But perfect, perfect uh, summary. So thanks, Richard, today for taking time. It's always a pleasure to talk with you on this stuff. And again, hopefully we can get you back and maybe we can hit the next big one, which is that infrastructure underspender deficit as well. Because I think that's a good topic. Got a big report coming out next week on it. So. Oh, well, maybe we'll get you. Once it's come out, we can get you back and we can tie that in. You got it. Okay. Excellent. Well, thanks, Richard. Thanks, Ray. Okay, guys. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye.